I'm Daniel Floyd, and welcome to Document Talkies, the podcast by and for lovers of all sorts of great documentaries. Most of you know, most of you that know me personally know that I've had a lifelong fascination with UFOs. I sort of eat up all sorts of TV shows and documentaries that evolve around the subject matter of UFOs. And recently I watched one called Alien Chronicles Top UFO Encounters. Now you may be thinking to yourself there's hundreds, millions of great shows and specials about UFOs. So what is there new in this podcast, in this documentary that maybe that I haven't heard a hundred times before? Well, one of the great things about Alien Chronicles is they sort of gloss over the standard bearer UFO incidences like the Phoenix Lights and Roswell and the Betty and Barney Hill abduction and the Travis Walton incident and even Foo Fighters. And they get more in-depth into the sort of lesser-known experiences that are kind of hidden in the annals of ufology throughout history. And I thought that was something that really drew me into this documentary. Now, I'm not just going to sit here and completely spread praise on the entire show. There were a couple of errors that they made along the way that I will point out. And I think it's only fair that as long as sharing some of the the evidence or the stories that you also kind of point out where some mistakes were made and then hopefully you can sift out the the truth in the middle. Now they were sort of minor little errors so it was nothing nothing major just kind of speaking errors or or whatnot. I don't know. I wasn't the producer so I can't tell you that but I did think it was fun how they glossed over the 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 big UFO incidences and sort of concentrated more on the lesser known ones. So a lot of people think that UFOs are sort of a 20th century or a modern creation, but in fact they actually started to pop into the society's lexicon in the mid to later 1800s and back then they weren't called ufos or flying saucers more about that in a little while they were originally called airships and the oldest known photo of a ufo or airship was 1870 in new hampshire and if you just do a quick google search of the oldest known photo of a ufo it will pop up as one of the first or second images that you see and it's doesn't really show a lot it's just sort of an interesting little photo and it is the first known picture of a ufo now as i stated they were called airships and the first case that we'll discuss is from april 17th 1897 when the dallas morning news 
published a small little article that Judge J.S. Proctor reported that an airship crashed into his windmill. Now, you might not think much about that, but in the story and in subsequent interviews, they stated that some sort of Martian, as they called it, was found dead inside of the airship. And this alien was given Christian burial rites and was buried in the local Aurora Cemetery. And even to the point today, there is a historical placard in the cemetery as to where the alien is allegedly buried. Now, they go on to state in the story that the wreckage was cleaned up and thrown into Judge Proctor's well. And you'd think that would sort of be the end of the story, but a few years later, a local businessman purchased Judge Proctor's property and redid the well to where he claims after the fact that the water from the well was causing him great, great discomfort, great, great arthritic discomfort. So much to the point that they're accusing it of the wreckage that was dumped into the well and he had the well paved over and filled and never to be seen again. Now, is that story true, untrue, a creation of some crackpots? I don't know. I will say there's a historical marker in Aurora, Texas, in the cemetery to this day. And there's all sorts of, you know, little conspiracy theories, I suppose you could say, that there was a gravestone there marking where the alien is buried, and it mysteriously disappeared. But it is true that the fact that the Aurora City Council does not allow any sort of ground-penetrating radar to go in and search to where the body is found. But I can't really imagine that too many local municipalities will allow ground-penetrating radars into any cemetery, but I could totally be wrong on that. Just an interesting little story. The next one that we're going to discuss is sort of the L.A. encounter. And a lot of people might know the L.A. encounter. It happened in February 26, 1942, and it's a famous picture that you can Google and see of a bunch of spotlights in L.A. as they're sort of doing an air raid shelling in the middle of L.A. that's affectionately called the Battle of Los Angeles. And sort of the historical importance of this case is it happens three months after the Pearl Harbor attack by the Japanese. So the United States had just entered or was preparing to enter World War II. So there was a heightened sense of alert, especially on the East and West Coasts. And on the night of the 26th of February, 1942, there was a bunch of 
air raid signals, a spotlights took up. They started shelling at all this, and some pictures taken at the time were show what appears to be all these spotlights and shells being shot at around what appears to be an unidentified flying object. Now, after it ceased and died down, the official explanation came out that it was a training exercise that went awry and was caused by faulty radar imaging and whatnot. It's just, it's a very interesting case of ufology that I, I think really shows where the military and the government will sort of step in to quell any sort of fear or quell any sort of information that gets out about things that, you know, quite frankly, they don't want to get out. Were they shooting at a UFO? Were they shooting at Japanese aircraft? Were they just having a training exercise? I guess we'll probably never know. It's just a very interesting envelope, I suppose is the best way to put it, within the ufology lexicon. And if you get a chance, Google the L.A encounter the the battle of los angeles in google and see what you think about the pictures that were taken that night over los angeles in 1942 now as i stated they don't talk a lot about the the big events that happened in ufology they did sort of gloss over them but one that is important that they ever so briefly talk about and it sort of ties into the whole governmental control thing was the first big sort of publicized ufo encounter was in 1947 when businessman kenneth arnold was flying over Mar mount rainier in washington and spotted a V formation of strange craft flying close to the mountain. And it sort of set in motion the whole modern UFO experience for this nation and, and frankly, around the world. And he was the one that sort of coined the phrase flying saucers. And he didn't necessarily say flying saucers. He said these objects look like saucers skipping across water is how he described them as flying so that's where flying saucers came from in 1948 thomas mantell air force pilot thomas mantell is the first man to die in an alleged dogfight with a ufo and he was sent out to intercept a radar target that they noticed. And he had some back and forth on the radio with ground control, sort of explaining he could see it but couldn't quite catch up to it. And at the time, it, it was really getting to, to climb at, at higher and higher elevations and... He was ordered to 
break off the attack because he was reaching his ceiling in his aircraft and he disregarded the order and continued to chase it higher and higher at which point which is unclear whether he simply just ran out of oxygen or the plane couldn't go any higher and it just went straight down and he passed away obviously from the crash and the impact of the incident. One of the other ones was the Gorman dogfight, which is sort of similar to the Thomas Mantell incident where a group of Air Force planes were engaged in trying to shoot down a, an alleged UFO as they were chasing it through the sky and although nobody perished or died in that event it's it was included by Air Force Captain Edward J. Rupel the first head of Project Blue Book as along with the Thomas Mantell incident as two of the reasons why they started Project Blue Book because it was at this point between Mantell and the Gorman dogfight that the public started to become sort of afraid of what UFOs might be and the government slash military needed to step in and sort of do something to quell the fear of a growing public panic or quite frankly maybe they just wanted to take the bull by the horns and start controlling the information. Now one of the most interesting cases that doesn't get a lot of notoriety now or even back then for that matter is one of my favorite sort of UFO incidences throughout history and it's the the Washington DC nation's capital incident in 1952 and this isn't one that just happened over a one or two night period but it happened for eight days on and off and mainly on the 19th and 20th of July and the 26th and 27th of July the main issue or the main incident happened or started at 11:40 p.m on July 19th when Washington National Airport, which is now Ronald Reagan Airport, radar operator Edward Nugent identified seven objects on his radar flying south-southwest of the city, which may or may not seem unusual, but it's Washington, D.C., and even in the 50s in the, the growing heat of the Cold War, there's no fly zone, so he identified these objects, reported it to his supervisor, who called two separate off site radars and verified that they too were seeing these objects, to which they notified the local Air Force Base, Andrews Air Force Base, to which they didn't have them on their radar screen, but they had some what they called odd pings on theirs and some ground sightings of some strange 
happenings in the sky, at which point they scrambled jets to intercept these objects. And this is sort of, to me, where the story gets interesting. As stated before, there were some ground witnesses and the verified radar pings of these incidences. And when the the jets that were scrambled got within the area of where these objects were, they simply disappeared. None of the pilots of the jets actually saw any UFOs. It was just strange how as soon as they got within the area, they completely disappeared off the radars. This is where it gets stranger. The minute the jets were called back to Andrews Air Force Base, the objects reappeared on all of the radar, to which the jets were scrambled again. And it was sort of turning into a rinse and repeat. As soon as the, the jets got within range, they would disappear off the radar. And as stated, this happened a few nights and finally culminated on July 29th, 1952. And I think this is sort of the case where the government kind of stepped in to keep things quiet because this is sort of like the weather balloons with Roswell and everything. You start getting these absurd explanations that hopefully people will buy, which obviously you can probably tell from my voice that I don't, but their explanation for the events that happened in Washington, D.C. in July 1952 were birds were pinging three separate radars disappearing when jets got in the area and then reappearing when the jets flew away. I don't buy it. Now, I stated earlier that I would take a little bit of issue with some of the stories or some of the events that they discussed in this show, but they're kind of sort of minor and maybe even insignificant. One is they had mentioned that Stanton Friedman, the UFO researcher, brought the Roswell investigation into the mainstream in the 1980s when, in fact, it was more like the 1970s. Like I said, insignificant, just simply a timing mistake on their part. But another one happens, and they could be right on this. We don't really know, but there's just certain things you have to take into consideration when you talk about these. And one was on November 23rd, 1953. It's called the Ken Ross Incident at Ken Ross Air Force Base. And Lieutenant Felix Monkla was sent out over Lake Superior when the radar center at the Sioux Locks in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan pinged some strange objects on their radar. He was sent off to intercept the UFO, and there were two blips on the radar that they were reading, 
at the time. One was Monkla's, the other was the unidentified object. And they showed the two blips on the radar get closer and closer and closer. Then they became one, at which point the one stayed one and the second one completely disappeared and Moncla was not responding to any radio contact anymore. So the one blip continued to go off of the radar screen and disappeared. There was a search conducted for Moncla and his plane, but it was never found. So sort of the theory thrown out that he was taken by the UFO. But you have to sort of take into mind that this was over Lake Superior, the largest freshwater and, quite frankly, the one of, if not the deepest freshwater body of water in North America. So his plane could have gone down in Lake Superior, and even with today's technology, they probably would still have trouble finding it. But it's a news story, so you got to go with the fantastic angle, I suppose. So it is what it is. Still an interesting story, nonetheless. Now, there's a lot of modern talk about the Tic Tac radar images that we have all seen here over the past year or so, and there was even a couple of specials on TV about it. And it was released on, or identified, or published by New York Times and Politico and a few other places on December 16, 2017. And what it is, it's gun camera footage of what they're calling a Tic Tac UFO from an Air Force jet, and it was over San Diego or off San Diego over the Pacific Ocean. And interesting because it's been confirmed by numerous radar operatives and six separate pilots that were within that training exercise that they all saw this Tic Tac UFO and it was sort of one that was interesting because these pilots all came out and confirmed and verified the sighting. So it sort of put the government to their feet to the flame, if you will, that they sort of had to possibly admit they didn't really know exactly what it was. So by definition, is it a UFO? Yes, it is. Is it an alien spacecraft? We don't know, but if you go by the radar footage and the gun camera footage, it's kind of strange as to what it does. It's really be hard for any human to survive the maneuvers that this thing makes. So is it a an alien spacecraft? We don't know. It's just sort of strange that... They captured that, and they're finally having to admit they don't know what it is. They're not saying it's a weather balloon or it's birds or anything stupid that they would use a lame excuse, swamp gas. <laughs> and they're coming out and saying, 
Yeah, we don't know. Now, throughout modern era of ufology, there's there, there's been all sorts of government programs, public, and we don't know if there's any unpublicized groups or whatnot that have been catered around the investigation of unidentified flying saucers. I mean, it started in the late 1940s with Project Sign and Project Grudge. And then it became Project Blue Book in the 50s, 60s. And at that point, they were, they were sort of coming out saying that at the end of Blue Book that UFOs are nothing to worry about. It's nothing substantial, nothing that the Air Force or the government need to continue to look into about UFOs because they don't pose a, a threat to America or the world, I suppose. But there was another group that the aforementioned gun camera footage incident that the Pentagon had to finally admit actually existed, but it started in 2004, and it was called ATIP, and it was a $20 million program to investigate UFOs. So if there was nothing to worry about and nothing we should be concerned about, why are we spending $20 million on an investigation team to investigate something that isn't real or doesn't need to be investigated? But because of the Tic Tac radar imagery or gun camera footage, they finally had to come out and admit, yeah, we kind of sort of lied about a tip not existing when it actually kind of, sort of, maybe did. Does that mean we're being invaded? Are we being visited by UFOs? Is it concrete proof? No, it's not, but I'd say over the past hundred and... 40 years with all of these sightings something peculiar has to be going on and we'd, we'd be too naive to think that we're alone in this universe and that there could be another society living elsewhere that maybe has the technology to visit this planet what they're doing here I don't know if they're here. Who knows? But it is possible. It is plausible. And there's a whole lot of other stories to this documentary that I didn't discuss on this podcast. So if it's something that you find interesting, it is available on Amazon Prime. It's called Alien Chronicles Top UFO Encounters. It is produced by Alchemy Works LLC and directed by Jay Michaels, and it was released in 2020. So, seek it out. If you like UFO shows, check it out and let us know what you think of it on Twitter at Document Talkies. And maybe if there's a documentary out there that you think we would be interested in seeing let us know 
on Twitter. And until next time, keep watching and keep learning.